Welcome back to John Guest Remembers, the CCJF podcast chronicling the life and ministry of Pastor John Guest. In this week's episode, John gets asked to stay in America to pastor a church, is introduced to yet more American cuisine, and an American style of evangelism as he prepares to return to England. If you are just now joining us, you can catch up with the rest of John Guest Remembers and its parent podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our website, ccgf.org podcast, or wherever you find your podcasts. Simply search for CCGF Talks. Thank you for joining us as John Guest Remembers. At the end of the four months, they tried, they being primarily Tom Frierson and Charles Nagel, to talk me into becoming their regular pastor to stay. I had no intention of staying in the USA. And I had an appointment to go back to in Liverpool, already arranged before I left, and to do, as I've explained earlier, a second internship, which we called a curacy. So I'd done my three years in Bristol and was going up to Liverpool to, in a fairly rough area there, to spend two or three years. I wanted to follow through on that, but they up, like it seemed to me, out into the late hours one night, sat into him with what became my little office uh, at the house, trying to convince me that I should, you know, go get my stuff and come back and be their pastor and maintained. So the lovely thing was, and I saw this as a once in a lifetime experience to come to the USA. It was time out. Uh, I loved the USA, had a wonderful time. So with the various places we went and the people we met and even the food. And I was taken downtown to the Sunday Breakfast Association, which is a huge drunk mission. And alcohol was the major issue in those days. Alcoholics on the street and homeless and they would go to the Sunday Breakfast Club, as it was called, association, for a place to live and work and detox and, and get themselves back together again. They had a, a, quite a warehouse where they took in furniture and sports goods and whatever that they sold or gave away. That's where I picked up my first set of clubs there, uh, out of their warehouse. I went down there to speak, met the guy who ran the mission who was quite a personality in philadelphia and we went out to lunch one day after to, to meet him and spend some time with him and uh, that's where i learned uh, you know he talked about he talked like an american you know kind of almost like a gangster tough guy he spoke about the least the last and the lost were the people he was ministering to but we went to a very nice restaurant um Bookbinders, an old restaurant. Tom took us both there for lunch. And that was my first taste of an open faced beef sandwich. Um, you know, they were ordering up food for lunch. And I said, What should I order? And so Tom said, Oh, well, you should have one of these, uh, these open faced beef sandwiches. They're great. It came with mashed potatoes and a whole heap of gravy. <laughs> and it was really, really good. You know, you're eating cold beef, it seemed to me, cut, sliced, and stacked on top of the bread, and then the mashed potatoes and the gravy poured over everything, so the bread soaks it up. The, it, 
It was delightful. That was my first experience. And he took me later to another famous restaurant, I think it was called Harvey's, where the Philadelphia cheese steak sandwich was invented. So I had one of those and got addicted to that. And in all the while, Tom and I would be talking about the Lord. It wasn't just about the food experience. I mean, meeting the man who ran the, the mission, I ended up spending, I think it was that trip, maybe it was when I came back again, a, a camping experience with kids from the, 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 the rough parts of Philadelphia. Um, and I was there to play my guitar, sing, and speak. And all this was connected to, interwoven with, how Christ had come into my life and, you know, and would get me to talk about becoming a believer and why had I gone into the Church of England, which was much more formal than their style. So those conversations would go on in amongst all these other experiences, and Tom would always try to evangelize the waitstaff. And his wife was embarrassed because he was very direct. You know, he was always in sales mode. I remember another place we went to was uh, it's a Marriott Hotel in Mainline, Philadelphia, which was maybe about a 15, 20-minute drive from where they lived. And we ended up going there every Friday night. When he came back from traveling, we would go over there toward the end of the evening and have a slice of cheesecake which I'd never tasted before. It was brand new to me. But that's where I learned to eat and enjoy cheesecake. And I remember Tom evangelizing the girl who was waiting on us there, and his wife was kicking him under the table. She was embarrassed at his, his desire always to share Jesus, you know, because the way he would chat to the waitress, he, she knew he was setting her up to be able to talk to her about the Lord. And all that was very impressive to me because I didn't know English people like that. And he was unashamed, unabashed, and uh, very strong, articulate theologically. He had a fantastic theological library himself. And I, when he died, which he did you know, just a few years ago, I got to pick up a whole bunch of books out of his library, which are now in mine. But they're, you know, from open-faced, beef sandwich to a Philly steak and cheese and onions, like a submarine. I asked, why do you call them subs? You know, submarines, that was a whole new language over here. I never did get an answer to that. And, uh, you know, hamburgers were big over here. We'd we didn't have hamburgers in England. So I'm asking the question, why do you call it a hamburger? Why is it a hot dog? You know, it's uh, the American food had names that, didn't add up, but that f- f- cheesecake, I think they called it a Philly cheesecake too, was fantastic. And that's all I ever had when we'd go there. But uh, I remember distinctly Tom doing some evangelism. And then one day we went out and shot hoops, as he would say, at a nearby uh, basketball court. And there were some other kids there shooting baskets down one end, and we were down a couple of grown men, although I was only in my 20s and Tom was in. He was nine years old. He was in his early thirties, and here we were uh, shooting baskets and started chatting with the other kids there and talking to them about the Lord. Uh, most of the time, we would travel with some sort of a, a tract, four steps to peace with God, which may still be in print as a, a tool of evangelism, which I had used in England when I would be out on doing street evangelism. 
But one of the things we did, another man and I from the, another student, Graham Windsor, we would go out on Sunday afternoons into Bristol, the city, and, you know, you've got a lot of pedestrians on the sidewalk and streets, and uh, we would stop and uh, give the out a track and try to engage them in spiritual conversation. So that was on my heart, and the name of the game for me was evangelism, leading people to a personal relationship to Jesus Christ, that their lives might be transformed in the way mine had been. So those tracts were always somehow in my pocket or in my briefcase and would give them out. And so I remember with Tom Frierson uh, evangelizing those kids on the basketball court. It was, a, it was his lifestyle, and it taught me to be much bolder, though I thought myself, by English standards, to be quite bold. But by Tom Frierson's standards, I was in kindergarten. I did ask him on one occasion how it was he got serious about the Lord. Well, he had been raised to go to church, uh, like a lot of kids. He knew about the gospel. He went into the army at 18, ended up with a nice soft job in the army, like in Bermuda or someplace on an airfield. And when he was flying back into the USA, for some reason he decided that when he got back and got out of the army, he was going to de- be serious about the Lord. And the major influence in his life was his grandfather. And he told me, and I've never forgotten, he said, my grandfather had a rocking chair, and I would love to climb into his lap, and he would rock me in his rocking chair, and he would sing to me the old hymn, There is a fountain filled with blood, drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunged beneath its flood lose all their guilty stains. That's the first verse. And uh, Tom said he would sing that to me. He said, you know, it's etched in my memory. So that was a major influence, just his grandfather rocking him and singing that, that old hymn, which was written by an Englishman. That's how Tom became serious about his faith. So at the end of it all, when it came time for me to go back to England, it was in March. In fact, I know the date because it was St. Patrick's Day. And a part of my adventure was this. I came over on the huge British Overseas Airways jet. And that's the first time I'd ever flown in a jet. Uh, I had flown in a small private plane prior to that, but I'd never flown commercially. So when I got on that jet, it was all a fascinating deal. Well, going back, I had planned to broaden my experience, so I had booked a a passage on the Old Queen Mary, which today is moored at Long Beach, California, as a hotel. But I'd booked a passage on the uh, Queen Mary, and so they drove me up to New York to board the boat with my one suitcase of clothes. And it was St. Patrick's Day. Well, New York City goes mad on St. Patrick's Day, and he hadn't thought about that. So it was very difficult getting around New York, uh, at least to get down to the harbor area where the boat was uh, docked. So I experienced St. Patrick's Day on Fifth Avenue, I think it is, where the parade is, and saw something of that on my way to the boat. And so uh, 
that concluded my American visit. And that was another whole experience. And it was a very rough trip, as it turns out. I mean, there were waves out there that washed over the deck of the Queen Mary. And uh, I found myself getting seasick, which was another experience, you know, going down the stairs into the where my room was and, you know, with the boat rising and falling, it's like you almost had to run down the stairs to keep up with the stairs as it would go down and then it would come back up at you. So I was able to get from the ship's doctor something to quell my seasickness. It didn't stop me eating because <laughs> the food on the boat was fantastic and, you know, young, single, athletic guy, I could put it away and enjoyed it. And so we got back to England, and uh, I remember catching the train back up to Bristol where my stuff was stored, and then to take it on up to Liverpool. And America in the winter gets so cold that when you come out of the winter into the springtime, all the grass has been, like, burned. It's uh, almost like a hayfield color. Lawns are washed-out yellow. And I'd never seen that before. But getting into England where everything is lush and green, you know, almost wept to be back in England. You know, there is a very famous poetic line, if I should die, think only this of me, that in some far off land, you know, in some far off distant place, is a plot of land that will be forever England. Anyway, it was lovely to be back in England, but to see the green fields... I took a train up from Southampton to Bristol. It was, uh, well, I was almost in tears to see England again, to be home. If you are enjoying this podcast, let us know on our Facebook page. You can find more episodes of John Guest Remembers and Christchurch's other podcast, Our Church, Our Stories, on our webpage, ccgf.org, or wherever you find your podcast by simply searching for CCGF Talks. Thank you for listening.